0: An independent contractor is someone that you might hire for a specific limited task, like a plumber or an accountant. Wrestlers aren't either of those things, apart from this wrestling plumber and this wrestling accountant. But the vast majority are totally different. And as independent contractors, wrestlers are exempt from most discrimination and occupational safety laws. They also don't get paid annual leave, pensions or health insurance. And I would argue that when you look at the Department of Labour and the IRS's specific criteria for independent contractors, it's a complete joke to think that they apply to Vince's wrestlers. And the lack, the lack of a union to advocate for wrestlers means that Vince gets to call all the shots. Because while literally every major sports league has an off-season for athletes to recover, the WWE works its wrestlers year-round, multiple times a week, and big stars may be able to command big money for that. But not every wrestler is a big star. You wind up with an environment with huge potential for unsafe conduct. Before Lance McNaught died at 29 of heart failure while struggling with addiction to painkillers, he spoke of the pressure that he felt to work through injury, saying, everybody knows that if you get hurt, you work through it, because you'll lose your spot. There have actually been multiple GoFundMe campaigns to cover both healthcare and funeral expenses for wrestlers that fans have stepped up for, which is heartwarming, but frankly, fans shouldn't be the ones shouldering that responsibility. Here's how bad it is, even the NFL, for all its massive faults, now offers players health reimbursement accounts and have established a legacy fund for older players who may be dealing with health issues. And when you've lost the moral high ground to the fucking NFL, you are morally subterranean.
1: Well, hello there. This is WrestleNomics Radio, and I'm Brandon Thurston. It is Friday, April 5th. I am recording On Demand from Buffalo, New York. The temperature is 44 degrees Fahrenheit, 7 degrees Celsius. And as you may have guessed, today we'll be discussing W's employee-slash-independent contractor issue, as highlighted recently by Last Week Tonight on Sunday with John Oliver. You just heard some clips from the program at the open of this show. If somehow you haven't managed to see it, it's a program that aired on Sunday night on HBO, featuring a 23-minute-long comedic critique of W's treatment of its workers. And while I was not personally consulted or anything like that for the show, uh, I do know that they use some resources that you can find at WrestleNomics.com, including things like contracts that were shown on the program. So what I'll talk about first here is we'll get into just how much it would cost WWE to convert all of its 215 contracted talent to employee status rather than contractor status. And then later I'll talk about the piece itself, uh, the quality of it, what the reactions are to it, and some of the things that were said in it. So the cost, in my estimation... WWE to reclassify 215 wrestlers Uh, on an annual basis. uh, I've done a lot of research in the last few days. I've talked to people who know some things about accounting and people who know some things about the healthcare industry. And the number that I've come to, the added cost is $28 million on an annual basis, the cost for WWE to convert all of their independent contractors who are wrestlers or talent to employees. And a $28 million annual expense, that's a lot of money to me and you probably, but that is an expense that WWE, as it stands in 2019, can readily afford. So $28 million. Compare that to WWE's net income in 2018 of $99.6 million. Operating income of $115 million. Adjusted OIBDA of $179 million. Those are all various profit metrics, well in excess of $28 million. WWE in 2018 had its highest ever net income year, even when you adjust for inflation. $99.6 million. That was bigger than adjusted for inflation the years of 1999 and 2000 when they had about 85 or $86 million in the year for net income. Going forward in years to come, we believe WWE is going to be even more profitable as the years go on. There's a WWE investor presentation that was put out in February where WWE projects because it's going to be getting even more money in TV rights fees from deals like the deals they have for Raw and SmackDown with the USA Network and Fox Sports. They're projecting over $500 million in revenue per year in 2020-2021, just as it relates to Ron Smackdown rights fees. In that same investor presentation from February, they give projections for the finances for the company overall in 2019, a billion dollars in revenue, but more importantly, at least $200 million in adjusted OEBA. And for those just joining us, OEBA so stands for Operating Income Before Depreciation and Amortization. Uh, w prefers this adjusted OEBA metric because it excludes non-recurring items that W doesn't want to compare across time. The point is, by whatever profit metric you want to look at, UIBDA, adjusted weEBDA or operating income, this is a company that can afford the roughly, in my estimation, $28 million that it would cost to make their wrestlers employees. So how did I get to $28 million? So I've broken down the cost, which I estimate to be $28 million, into one, two, three, four, five different sections. And I believe I'm doing this aggressively. So... I'm erring on the side of estimating too much so that maybe you could say, you could end up answering this question by saying, well, maybe W can't afford it. So I try to be uh, aggressive and, if anything, overestimate the cost of converting 215 independent contractors to employees here. So there's five different parts that make up the $20 million estimation. The biggest piece is a 401k plan with, let's say, a 7% matching. I estimate that to cost $8.3 million. Travel expenses, $5 million. Retirement plan, $6 million. Health insurance, $5.4 million. And total payroll liability, $3.6 million. So you add those up, you get to $28 million. Uh, I should be doing an article on this that will be easier to follow, and you can read it and read it over and see how I did all this math. But to go through it uh, pretty quickly here, I'm aggressively estimating that the average annual compensation for a WWE wrestler is $550 million. How do I think that? That's because if you go into the web archive and you look at old corporate W.com pages, you find uh, instances from 2011, 2012, where W wrote on its website, the average full-time main roster W performer has an average annual compensation of $550,000. Uh, in the same paragraph, they say they had at the time 120 performers under contract, far fewer than they do today. So the number of talent under contract has increased quite a bit, especially in the last few years. And we know from the annual report that was published just a few months ago that WWE says in the year of 2018, at some point, I don't know if it's an average number or the year the number of talent that they had at the end of the year, but they say they had 215 talent under contract. So in my math, I just went forward and assumed that $550,000 continued to be the average uh, talent compensation for a year. I think it's pretty likely that the average compensation for a WWE wrestler is less than $550,000 a year because many of the wrestlers that they've signed is the increase in the number of wrestlers that they have under contract is largely because they're signing more and more people to developmental contracts. You know, The increase in the total number of wrestlers is largely due to people who are joining NXT or 205 Live or NXT UK or who are just in training in the Performance Center, whether that's the one in Orlando or in the UK. And I think that the addition of... There are some higher-priced talents that have joined W during this time, right? Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar since 2012 but I don't think their likely high salaries are enough to offset the difference from the added number of wrestlers who are probably being paid uh, well below what was previously the average. So again, to be generous to the question of can WWE afford this, I'm going to assume that it's $550,000 average compensation, even though if you're asking me directly, I think the average compensation is below that. So we need some estimation about what the average compensation is to do the math around payroll that is to do all the math around how much is W going to have to pay in taxes now if they have all these wrestlers as employees. So an accounting instructor from the University of Colorado, Denver, uh, named Omar Fubi, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, he was kind enough to help me out with this, and he gave me an estimate on what W's total payroll liability would be. So he did the math and did the FICA tax, the Medicare tax, the unemployment tax, the Connecticut state tax, which which gets complicated because, of course, there'll be wrestlers wrestle in every state, So Omar Fubi noted in the Excel spreadsheet that he showed me that reciprocity would have to be evaluated to see how much W headquarters would be on the hook for. And using Connecticut state tax here is simply an estimate for the entire state payroll tax liability for headquarters. So I admit I don't completely understand what's going on there, but uh, I'm relying on his expertise in accounting to help me make this estimate. So $3.6 million for the total payroll liability, then the health insurance cost for WB, $5.4 million dollars. So to figure that out, I talked to a few people who work in the healthcare industry, and they seem to agree that there would be two big options for WB here, the fully insured option or the self-funded option. And it sounds like the self-funded option would be the most likely one. This is a method of healthcare coverage where the company sets up its own bank account and then hires an insurance company, such as United Healthcare Services, Inc., which at least at one time, if not still currently, uh, provided the healthcare for WB Corporate. So in this case, in a self-funded case, we would hire a healthcare company to administer claims and to get preferred rates from healthcare providers. Uh, this is what many large companies already do in the U.S. And doing the self-funded option will allow them to engage wrestlers and other employees on wellness and disease management and intervention to try to decrease the costs of healthcare. So I guess in other words, WWE would be even further incentivized to help their wrestlers, their talent, stay healthy. But another reason why self-funded. Would be a more likely option is because WWE's talent wellness policy might come under scrutiny if WWE, in the alternative, uh, tried to obtain fully insured coverage for talent. So, according to the Kaiser Foundation, the average annual premium per employee is about twenty thousand dollars. That was in the year two thousand eighteen, with uh, employees paying about five thousand five hundred dollars worth of that plan. So, obviously, compared to the average U.S. employee, WWE wrestler is going to be at a far higher risk to make medical claims given the nature of the WWE wrestler's work. So if we estimate that WWE talent would cost about 30% more in premiums to cover versus the average U.S. employee, the average annual cost that we get comes to about $25,000 per wrestler. So in WWE's interest here, let's make an aggressive estimate. Let's say that WWE is going to take on the entire cost of premiums without any contributions from talent for 215 wrestlers. We're also, by the way, not considering that WWE would even release any talent to keep this cost down. So, two hundred fifteen wrestlers times twenty five thousand dollars comes to about five point four million dollars for a year for healthcare. And to be clear, that cost could be higher in years where there are lots of you know, way more than usual medical issues, and but it could be lower in years where talent remains more healthy. So, again, the estimate is five point four million dollars to provide healthcare to two hundred fifteen W talent. The estimated cost of a retirement plan, I'm estimating $6 million. So I'm just taking pretty simple math here, 5% of average compensation. Average compensation, we're figuring to be $550,000. 5% of that across 215 talent, that comes out to $6 million. Or I should say just under $6 million, but we're going to round up $6 million. Okay, a 401k plan. We'll be aggressive there and say 7%. W is going to match a 7% contribution into a 401k plan. Even though the average in 2010, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, was only 3.5%, we're going to assume 7%. So 7% of total compensation for this 215 talent, this comes out to $8.3 million. Again, that may be high, but we're being aggressive to be charitable to WWE about whether or not they can afford this. Maybe they can't afford this. And then finally, the travel expenses, which are admittedly the hardest thing for me to estimate here. So we got 215 talent. I'm under the impression that NXT talent gets their travel costs covered for them already. So if that's the case, let's say we only have to deal with the main roster talent, their travel expenses, which are not covered under the current format where they're classified as independent contractors. So the W Performance Center website, you go through there, and you can find 114 talent who are on the Performance Center website as NXT talent or Performance Center talent. You subtract that from the 215, you're left with about 101 talent who would need their expenses covered. So I went into cage match. I looked at the WWE wrestlers. I separated the main roster wrestlers from the non-main roster wrestlers. I counted up all of their appearances for the entire year of 2018. You get about 10,000 appearances, just under 10,000. But again, let's be aggressive and round up 10,000. So out of 16,000 appearances actually in total, when you include non-main roster talent, uh, 10,000 of those appearances are main roster appearances. I hope everyone understands what I'm saying here when I say main roster appearances. I'm just talking about a wrestler appearing in a match uh, who is on the main roster in the year 2018. So now I have 10,000 appearances that I need to cover travel expenses for. Uh, you may remember when Ryback was released from WWE, or maybe his contract ran out, or whatever the case, he did an, did an interview saying that his uh, travel expenses were easily $150,000 on the year. So sorry, Ryback, I got a, a number that's quite a bit lower than that uh, per wrestler. So the math I'm doing here is the biggest expense is the hotel. I'm going to say, 2 let's do $250 for a hotel. That's probably a pretty nice hotel room. $250 per night in a hotel. uh Three meals a day, let's say we'll give you $100 for that. The average rental cost per day, let's say $65. Uh, average fuel and tolls per trip, and I'm gonna guess about 200 miles on average per trip. Uh, I'm gonna say that's $28 for the fuel and tolls across 200 miles. Uh, breaking that down, I'm assuming an average fuel cost of $2.90 per gallon and fuel efficiency of 25 miles per gallon and an average toll cost per trip of $5. So again, that all comes to $28 uh, per appearance. And then I'll, I'll give you a one-day gym fee of $15. So all that stuff across about 10,000 appearances, that comes to 4 million, uh, $4.58 million. So just over $4.5 million. So let's be generous to WB in the uh, possibility that they can't afford this and round up $5 million for travel expenses. And I may be leaving out some people here who uh, travel to a show but don't necessarily get booked to do a match. So sure, let's round up to $5 million. So again, I got my four categories, total payroll liability, $3.6 million, health insurance, $5.4 million, retirement plan, $6 million, travel expenses, 5000000 million, 401k plan, $8.3 million. a total of $28.3 million. And again, $28 million, you compare that to the adjusted OEBDA in 2018 of $179 million, the W's projection of at least $200 million in adjusted OEBDA. They can afford this. And this all, too, by the way, is assuming that WWE would not cut anybody. They would not release anybody or cut any other costs. WWE could cut costs to lessen the damage on its WWE margins. It could release talents in this conversion to lessen the cost on its WWE margins, to please investors. But whatever the case, this is something that WWE can easily afford. And maybe, just maybe, it would be an investment in your workers' morale, and maybe even the perception of the company, and your ability to sell advertisements and sponsorships. Hey, 28 million dollars, that's less than the, uh, the revenue on one Saudi Arabia live event. And I, I know revenue is not the same as profit margin, so don't send me finance hate mail, but W can afford this. So as for the piece itself, the last week tonight piece, uh, I see a lot of quibbling about the details of the story. I don't know a lot of but actually is about how there's a lot of old clips being used. There's a clip from Hitman heart wrestling the shadows from 97 or 98. There's stuff from the HBO Real Sports story in 2003. The uh, the infamous moment where Vince Man slaps the notepad of Armin Kitean. A lot of video clips that are not very current. You've got an old clip from Jesse Ventura on the Howard Stern show talking about how because they're contracted exclusively, it can't possibly be legal. Which is an imprecise way to say it because it is a IRS 10 or 20 factor test and it's the preponderance of those factors being answered in favor of the argument that they should be classified as employees and not contractors. That's how they're operating. And um, so be it. Yes. um, No other active companies besides WB were mentioned who also signed their workers to various contracts with various degrees of exclusivity. Some of the clips were old and the argument was not made in the most precise manner possible. That's what WrestleNomics is for, but uh, they may not have told the story exactly the way that we would have preferred. Uh, Nonetheless, I think this is a very good thing for workers throughout the wrestling industry and in WWE on the whole. And it's been argued, I think it was argued by Will Cooling uh, on Twitter, that if they were reclassified as employees, the cost of that conversion, which we just discussed, maybe about $20 million, uh, the cost would be bared in, in lower pay for wrestlers. And I think that's a good point, and I think that raises a, sort of a larger point here in the relationship between promotions or companies and workers here, is that in WWE, the talent is paid a far smaller percentage of total company revenue compared to major pro sports like the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, and NHL. In those big four leagues, whereas you may not be surprised there are players unions, players receive between 40 and 50% of the revenue that's generated. In WWE's case, for this, the year of, let's say, 2012, that's the year where they list on their website that the average compensation is $550,000. That year, the annual report read that they had 135 talent under contract. That means about $74 million went to talent across uh, $84 million dollars in total revenue. That's 15% of total revenue, not 40 or 50%, 15%. If the average talent pay is still $550,000, which it's probably not. It's probably lower than that, but let's say it's it's still $550,000 uh, in 2018 in a year where WWE generated $930 million, that would be about 13% of revenue. So W Talent, as it stands right now, probably getting well below 13% of total company revenue, while your friends in the NFL, the NBA, NHL, MLB getting 40 to 50% of total revenue. And maybe that wouldn't be a sustainable business model to give Talent 40 or 50% of W's revenue. But the larger point here is I think there's another argument to put on the scale towards WWE talent being underpaid. So there are but actuallys to raise against this idea of converting everybody from employees to contractors. Yet I don't think it's enough of an argument to say that it may not be perfect, it may not be 100% positive, but I think it still would be positive on the whole, especially for those wrestlers who aren't employed uh, with a company like WWE for a very long time. You know, Those wrestlers who are unlike The Miz, who I think responded to a question about the John Oliver piece saying that WWE has given him everything he wants and more. Yet uh, the average W wrestler probably doesn't have a 13-plus year run on the main roster like The Miz has. So another thing to weigh against, this is cost-cutting. If all the talent was converted to employees and WWE had millions of extra dollars in costs, they would cut costs in other areas, including among them talent. They may just fire people to... Keep their costs down to keep the price of the stock up to keep their profit margins to keep their OEBA goals, their projections on target. So I can hear an angry cynic in the back of my head, this person who doesn't want anything to change, saying, "But see, you want people to get fired. If you want people to be converted to employees, there's going to be people who are going to lose their jobs." I, I I hope you're happy. Well, I would say to that that there have never been more places in the wrestling industry to make a full time living. It is a great time to be a wrestler. And there are a lot of other opportunities out there. From WWE's perspective, I would suggest that it looks like they're having trouble attracting some talent and retaining some talent. It looks like Dean Ambrose is going to let his contract run out and maybe go work elsewhere. Somebody like Ty Dillinger requested his release. The Revival don't seem particularly happy. WWE tried, but was unable to sign the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega and Cody. Maybe, if WWE treated their workers better classified them appropriately as employees and provided them with a number of benefits, just like anybody who works any other job as an employee, maybe WV would have at least one more chip to attract and retain talent with. And maybe that would even motivate an emerging company like AEW to do the same. And then imagine this optimistic scenario where there are two companies that are treating wrestlers like employees and providing them with health insurance, retirement benefits, and so on. Some of the more emotional responses I saw to this piece Wrestling fans already knew about this. Wrestling fans did not already know about this. People who listen to a, a, a podcast like WrestleNomics know well about this stuff. But wrestling fans in general uh who are touched by something that, that hits mainstream media like John Oliver's show, they did not know about this independent contractor employee issue. I, I I wholeheartedly believe that. I believe that this was the the brightest spotlight that's ever been put on this issue uh, in, in wrestling. And I think that is only a good thing for workers in wrestling on the whole. Uh, in reaction to some of the clips being old, I know some people pointed out that WWE is a publicly traded company now, uh, when in fact, WWE was a publicly traded company in the year 2003, when the HBO Real Sports piece came out, when Vince slapped Armageddon's Notebook 2003, W was a publicly traded company, which it had been since October 1999. I am always perplexed that there seems to be almost a Mandela effect that... Uh, WWE has only been a publicly traded company within the last 10 years or so, and I think maybe people are, are conflating that WWE has been, I don't know, like more PC or more careful since, since 2008 or through 2010 or whenever WWE changed to become TVPG. And that's a thing that's more about pleasing sponsors than it is about pleasing investors. But again, some of those clips were old and hey, they said that stuff then, but they wouldn't say that now because they're a, whatever, they're a TVPG company or they're a publicly traded company or whatever it is. I think when it comes to things like what's Vince's response to people dying early, I think that's something that he believes now to this day. And he may put it more carefully. They may be more careful about it. They don't let Vince really do many, many public interviews. But you can go into the Russellnomics archives and you can find the transcript of... Vince McMahon being interviewed before the U.S. Congress subcommittee, where when he's asked what made you, the company, offer counseling services to current or former employees or contractors, Vince McMahon's response was, Two words. Public relations. That's it. I do not feel any sense of responsibility for anyone of whatever their age is who passed along and has bad habits and overdoses for drugs. Sorry, I don't feel any responsibility for that. Nonetheless, that's why we're doing it. It was a magnanimous gesture. And that's in 2007. After the company had put the wellness policy in place. After they had started offering rehab and counseling services to people. So, maybe most interestingly of all, John Oliver actually called, basically called for wrestling fans who are there in the stadium at Le- MetLife Stadium at WrestleMania to do chants and bring signs and protest this fact that W is not treating its workers well enough.
0: Well the potential opportunities. Because remember, WrestleMania, the biggest event in the WWE's calendar, is next Sunday. And if fans in that arena want McMahon to help pay for wrestlers' long-term healthcare, or just to call them employees, they could say, choose to make up Chance about that. The event is live, the crowd is mic'd, they won't be able to cut the chance out. I'm not saying that fans should do that, or make signs, or make <laughs> lots of signs. I'm just saying, I really hope they make their voices heard on this. Because given that, Business Hulk here is a billionaire on the broken backs of his non-employees the very least he can do is show the same dedication to wrestlers that they have shown to his company and i know
1: and that is naive that w fans could do something that would cause the company to make such a drastic change to their business you know months ago we came up with this image the hierarchy of w influence where it's Vince McMahon at the top it's w business partners underneath that it's w executives underneath that it's mainstream media outlets under that it's actual wrestlers underneath that, and then fans and wrestling media at the very bottom. So I like to bring up the Snickers Doctrine, the Snickers Doctrine of 2017, which is at WrestleMania, uh, leading up to WrestleMania in 2017, WWE put together the the first big women's battle royal. They were going to name it after Fabulous Moolah, and all the scandals that Moolah was involved in allegedly were brought up on the Internet, and lots of people complained about it. You know, fans complained about it. WWE stuck to their guns; they weren't, didn't appear to be changing anything until Snickers came out with a press release saying that, you know, that it to some effect that they were not happy with this. And only then did WWE change the name of the battle royal to just the women's battle royal. So, what, what should fans do? I, I think it's fine if they chant. Uh, maybe they should write to their their congressperson. Uh, the Stanford Advocate came out with an article today quoting one Daniel Durbin, the director of the University of Southern California's Institute of Sports Media and Society, where he said, quote, If someone in the government actually starts to look into WWE's practices, especially how they treat their talent, John Oliver's comments might have some impact, Durbin said. If that doesn't happen, Oliver does with a much smaller audience, what David Letterman did in the 1980s. He introduces WWE to an audience that can now watch the freak show and laugh at it through their noses. But yeah, I think government would have to get involved. Many business partners would have to object uh, one of those two things. I do not think that WWE is going to have a moral epiphany on this issue anytime soon. But I think anybody who wants to chant or protest or whatever or bring signs would be in the right to do so. Um, it might lead to more mainstream coverage of the issue and just what fans were doing if there were, in fact, chants audible or if there were signs that were brought or signs that were confiscated or whatever it is. It could lead to more mainstream attention on the issue, which may or may not snowball into actual action but the reflexive cynicism that i've seen to this suggestion by john oliver is all too normal i think it's my uh, unfortunately rare and somehow radical view that there are some things more important than our entertainment you know i've heard it said that how dare john oliver suggest that people who spent hundreds of dollars on these tickets you know actually protest and i think no matter how high the demand is for that entertainment no matter what the ticket price is for admission The attitude that protest is very uncool or pointless or that it sets one up for ridicule is is the attitude that's given us many of the wider societal inequities that so many of our neighbors and ourselves suffer from. And even if some of the entertainers, like the Miz, are already compensated generously, it doesn't absolve the promoter, in my view, from the moral responsibility to share with the workers the growing profits. And they certainly are growing, at least in the case when the promoter can readily afford to provide his workers with health care and pension. And sure, let let the promoter, let Vince McMahon, take the biggest piece of the profit. After all, it was he who took on the most financial risk and who took on the most responsibility. Well, even if he skirted his responsibilities to his maximum economic security. But much more needs to be said about the workers who have much shorter-term careers in companies like WWE. You know, workers who don't appear on Raw or SmackDown each and every week. Workers who may have short careers that are ended by injuries. And there seems to be an attitude, not just in wrestling, but in wider society, that economics are the only thing we can understand. That is our moral crisis. And that being entertained is the only thing we can feel. And that, I think, is our emotional crisis. This kind of thing is emblematic of the ethos of W programming, where the performers submit sometimes with their own actual words, literally, that all they wanted to do was entertain you. As if that was the highest service they could provide as if inspiration, emotional connection, and instructive catharsis are just ideals that require values that are just impractical fantasies. So trying to protect values about human well-being, let alone trying to understand them, are supposedly just foolish enterprises. And besides, the entertainment is very fine. And it is, after all, the golden era of content. But if that's all we settle for, if economic ambitions are the limits of our ambitions... And I think we leave ourselves in a morally and emotionally sad place. And that will only rescue ourselves from this if we dare to realize that economic values are not the only determinable values. If we realize that moral and political values are not only determinable, but worth defending. I believe the more cynical and self-defeated we are, the more we throw our hands up and give up and say it's all corrupt. There's nothing you can do. The more distracted we are, and yes, the more entertained we are, the more we will be anesthetized from doing anything to gain more of a fair share from robber barons like Vince McMahon. So I can't sit here and come up with an argument for why it would be anything but morally righteous to protest, for example, the mistreatment of W workers. Even if nothing changes, even if it doesn't work, at least you will have tried. Even if it's, in, if it's impractical, at least you will have spoken up for what's right. And at least you will have cared more than the proprietors who profited from the literal broken bodies of the hundreds of wrestlers who provided the foundation, who created a loyal fan base, so a company like WWE can now, in 2019, finally reap hundreds of millions of dollars in guaranteed TV rights fees in exchange for an intellectually destitute product produced by a morally destitute company with values that seem to be only economic. So, I don't know, you tell me what you think, you can tweet me, Brandon Thurston on Twitter, WrestleNomics on Twitter, email me at rustlenomics at gmail.com. Do you have insight or a comment on all this payroll and health insurance stuff I talked about? Let me know. Do you have a capitalist argument against the argument that I just made? Send me hate mail. The WBQ1 report comes out on April 25th. I will most likely be covering that. I'll probably do a podcast for that too. So maybe I'll do another one before then. Maybe not. We'll see. But until then, talk to you later.